0: You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite pod-catching app, or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today we want to con- continue, as I look out the window as the snow <laughs> is rapidly falling. Uh, I'm Hopefully I will not be distracted by that beauty. I'll be able to give you your lesson. Uh, but today we want to continue... <laughs> Some thoughts we began last week. We began to look at our study uh, in what we plan to be a series of uh, lessons from the Gospel of John. And last week we had entitled our lesson, Come and See, uh, based on uh, some words from the uh, first chapter uh, of the Gospel of John, where twice uh, the answer to inquiries about Jesus was to come. And see. And so uh, we took that as our invitation to come and see, as John will take us through a guided tour toward belief. So uh, it's always nice uh, when you're in unfamiliar territory uh, to take a tour, or when you're uh, amongst uh, many things that are good to see and many things you might like to see, Uh, you might take a guided tour. I remember one time getting on one of those open top buses and taking a tour around Hollywood. And they showed us where these stars lived and those stars lived. And they didn't show us every detail of Hollywood. But they kind of gave us the lay of the land and they gave us the things uh, that would be most helpful. If you're only here for a little while, the things are most helpful to know. And maybe you've taken other tours and I've taken some other tours as well. And the nice thing about a guided tour is that uh, you'll know you'll hit the big things. Uh, You'll know you'll hit the postcard moments. Uh, You won't overlook it. If you're doing it by yourself and never taken a self-guided tour, or decided just to make your own tour of a place. Uh, sometimes you realize, man, I missed something important. I was right by it. If I'd only known, I, I just would have gone around the corner. Or what a pause there to read that. But on a guided tour, you have the benefit of, of the prior experience, and somebody has crafted uh, something, hopefully, uh, that's helpful to you to know what a thing is really about. And that's what the Gospel of John is, a crafted tour through the life of Jesus to guide us to belief. Last time, uh, we looked at the basic things. What is the Gospel of John? Well, it's an independent gospel. It's not like the synoptics. It doesn't disagree with them. It agrees with them in cases where things are together. It's entirely complementary to the other three gospels, but it stands quite alone. An independent gospel. And John says what his purpose was. Directly, he said, I've written these things, especially about the miracles, but I've written these things that you might believe. And so uh, we had that uh, independent gospel, directed for belief. We talked about briefly when it might have been written. And there's an early date and a late date. Basically, uh, one before the destruction of Jerusalem, the traditional dating after the destruction of Jerusalem. There's some reason to believe in uh, either one of those. Uh, But as long as we take it to be, in the lifetime of John, so that it could be actually written by the person uh, it's been purported to be written by. I think we're on safe ground, as long as we don't take the uh, theological, modern, uh, and progressive view that is written by somebody not John, long after John lived. And then we talked about the who. So what and when and who? It's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we noted that that uh, put emphasis on Jesus, not directly on the disciple. So every time this disciple is brought up emphasis is on jesus and qualities of jesus not the person who was there and writing these things it's it's almost as if he makes himself incidental to the story or he tells the story in such a way as, is that we could share in it uh, and that uh, we can also be a disciple whom jesus loves so it's the emphasis not so much on him but on jesus and then we saw as we mentioned in the end of the first chapter after John the Baptist did his work saying, here is the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard that. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned around, seeing these guys following him, said, what do y'all want? And they said, uh, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And so they did exactly that. Uh, they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him. Now, I, I realize that's probably actual words. I'm sure it is actual words or natural conversation. But of these disciples deciding to follow Jesus... Uh, and uh this and dedicating them their life to him and very high likelihood one of those two unnamed disciples is john because the other one is named a little bit later to andrew Uh, but uh, i think that's kind of a microcosm for the whole thing what is this about what is this jesus about well come and see and stay with him and then just to make sure we see the point it's crafted and brought out for us again uh as philip finds nathaniel and he says we have found him of whom the Mo- of Moses and the law and the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And what's Philip say? Come and see. So right there in the first chapter, right in the beginning paragraphs uh, of the narrative of the history, uh, we have this twofold invitation to come and see. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, So we're going to start, Tim, our guided tour of belief. Again, we we made note, but didn't read the verse. We just uh, referenced the most familiar phrase from John 20, 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. So here's the fullness of it. This is the intent of it. Uh, Right from the beginning of the book, uh, we're going to have these things that are to lead us, as John would say in conclusion, lead us to believe in Jesus and believing we might have life in his name. So it's really belief in John, beginning and middle and end. And it's, it's... Belief in about every different kind of uh, form. We can put the verb to believe, those who believed, uh, those who were believing. Uh, in the old King James, you'll have several believeths. It's just belief all the way down. It's some form of the word belief 98 times in the Gospel of John. So when we talk about the Gospel of John and we straight stay, stay true uh, to the message that John is bringing, if we say belief repeatedly, I think we're on the right track. If we have about uh, 20 chapters, we have 21. Uh, if we have uh, 98 mentions of the word, then we'll be just under five mentions of belief per chapter. Now, I, I realize the chapters are given much after John, but they are useful, and, and we use those chapters. But we'll average per chapter belief five different times. And so it's a consistent and regular theme of John. It is the object of our guided tour. And so when you go to Hollywood, uh, you can take the studio tour, or you can take uh, the uh, landmark tour, or you can take the uh, star's home tour, or you can take the historic sites tour. There's five or six or eight uh, different tours that they will offer you, if you go to Hollywood, and I bring that one up because I one time went there, took a tour, and I paid for it. That's the last time I remember doing it. But you had multiple options as to what kind of tour you could take. What, what were your main interests? Well, John is guiding this tour to belief. Got no, he's, he's completely unapologetic about it. This is the belief tour. So please, get on board, and we want you to believe. Here is the great uh, blessing, as we saw in John 20, 31, In believing, you might have life in his name, as it says, uh, more fully, and offering both options in John 3 and 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So believing goes with obeying, and unbelief goes with wrath. Same kind of construction we saw in the Great Commission of the Gospel of Mark, right? If you believe and you're baptized, you're saved. If you're not, you'll be condemned. So belief, the kind of belief that trusts, the kind of belief that, <coughs> that acts, or wrath. So how does John take us on this guided tour? What, is, what are the highlights? Uh, what are the places we're going to go see on a guided tour of belief? Well, we're going to have the loftiest start imaginable. John doesn't say the good stuff to the end. John starts us off with a bang. I remember a few years ago, I watched the reboot of a famous movie franchise, of which I had invested a lot of time in science fiction type franchise. And they had an introduction, the first four or five minutes of this movie, rebooting the franchise. And then they had the theme music, and then they went on. And the first five minutes or so of that movie, telling a little uh, mini story. Uh, to set the, to reset the stage, I turned to the person I'd gone to the movie with, and I said, if the movie was over right now, we got our money's worth. And it was four minutes into the film, and I still think it's one of the best in, openings uh, to a film uh, that I've ever seen. Well, John gives us that. John gives us the, the start of which, if that's all we had, we'd say we had our money's worth. And we'll have a lesson on this uh, to come. On the, the prologue, of the gospel of John. And John sets forth, not just in the prologue, but also through the book at times, uh, this high concept, this uh, poetry and theology, uh, the likes of which are not found in other gospels. Uh, There are sections, this opening prologue especially, but others to follow as well, where it reads like a hymn. And so we're going to have Uh, this different beginning right from the start, and we're going to start at the highest levels. We're going to start with the same words as the whole book of God begins. We're going to start with the same words as in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, in the beginning, in Genesis, God created the heavens and earth. But in John, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And so, if we got a good start to Genesis... We got an even better start, if possible, to John. We'll save the details of that for another time uh, in another lesson. But what we note is we have this great start. John does not start in a historical sense, uh, like the the stories of the nativity, the story of of the birth of Jesus, or as Luke does, the birth of John, uh, the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, There's nothing of genealogy of Jesus. Uh, There's no story of going to Bethlehem uh, for the tax man. Uh, There's no story of the manger. Uh, This is the independent part of John. I think John knows you know that. But John goes to the bigger part, that he was not the son of Joseph or the son of Mary. He was not the son of David. He was not even the son of God. He was the word of God. He was God. He came as God's son in this world. And so John starts on the highest of terms, but he came in that way. But John 1 11, he came to his own, but those who were of his own did not receive him. But as many, here's the believers who received him, he gave the right to be the children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glories of the only-begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that prologue, that loftiness, we'll look at. And all throughout the Gospel of John, we have this unique and regular mixture of the things of heaven and the things of earth. And so it's the loftiest thing. You'll ever hear or read or conceive of God. Well, the word was with God. The word was God. But by the time the first chapter is over, John is having—excuse me—Jesus is recorded by John is having a conversation with the disciple about sitting under a, a fig tree. Now he says, "I saw you under the fig tree, which uh, was a place of absolute darkness. The fig leaves uh, totally." obscured the sun and and underneath the fig tree under the shelter of those heavy leaves it provided a nice place of shade uh sort of like ancient air conditioning and so he was probably in there uh, taking a break or, or taking a nap in the midday heat as one back then uh, would often do but jesus said i saw you under there and so we go from we go from the the cosmos uh down to uh, the fig tree in the first chapter in the second chapter we we have one of the most earthly of all concerns, of social concern. The, the big crisis that Jesus solves uh, with miraculous power showing the glory of God is people running out of wine at a wedding. That's that's what he breaks out the miraculous power for for the first time? Yeah. yeah. This social occasion, this wedding where these people who he knows enough to be invited to the wedding, we don't know if he's really close to them, uh, they must have been pretty close because he comes with some of his brand new disciples who probably didn't know this couple. And so he was somebody pretty close. And his mother is concerned uh, very much about the, the, the social uh, uh, ordeal that, that's fixing to occur as they've uh, run out of wine. And Jesus makes water into wine. And in the third chapter, Jesus is meeting at night in a garden. A guy sneaking in. We can almost see him you know, holding his cloak over his face so that nobody recognizes him. In the in the fourth chapter, uh, he's at a well sitting down in the heat of the day. And a woman comes and he says, give me a drink. In the fifth chapter, uh, we have the story uh, of a boy and his lunch. Okay, not it's not really the story of a boy and his lunch, but that's part of it. Uh, that's a detail in the story. Jesus takes that boy's lunch and feeds 5,000 men and the families they had with him. And so we end up having the contents of a boy's lunchbox described. And it's just this amazing, heaven and earth together. In chapter 9, he heals a fellow of blindness by spitting on the ground, mixing the dirt with the saliva, and smearing the saliva mud on a guy's eyes. I've always thought, well, I'm glad the guy was blind, because if he would have seen the spitty, spitty mud coming, he might have ducked but he couldn't see it coming. So Jesus got him right in the eyeball. Now that's probably not quite right, but is that something you did back then? It's not something you do now. Okay. Maybe if you're a third grade boy on a playground, you you make some spitty mud, put it on somebody's face, but he comes from heaven. He spits on the ground and puts the mud on some guy's eye. Of course he heals him. So it's, you healed me. It's all forgiven. Whatever medical techniques you want to use. Um, I, I don't understand that. Uh, but again, just really earthy, really common stuff, really basic stuff. In in chapter 11, he is uh, weeping in a cemetery. Now, we all understand that. In, in chapter 12, where they, they bring out the, the year's value, the year's salary worth of costly nard, uh, the ointment to uh, to anoint Jesus for his burial, and the smell of the thing must just overwhelm the room. In in the thirteenth chapter, in another room, uh, Jesus is uh, on the floor with a towel around his waist, washing people's feet. Uh, and at the end, there's more. But at the end of the gospel, uh, there's a, a great catch of fish, and somebody numbered them. There's 153 of them, and then they take a uh, fish and and they cook it on a charcoal fire. And so we can just almost you know uh, you, you can see you can see the the Sea of Galilee, you can see the lakeshore. You can see the fire. Uh, You can almost smell the fish. Uh, uh, It's just uh, a very earthy thing. While intermixed with this, the greatest things uh, from heaven, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are working until now. In that cemetery where he's crying, I'm the resurrection and the life. And a man is brought back to life. And so we have this heaven and earth Throughout the Gospel, look, look for this as we take this tour of belief in in first John, the same author would tell us, and he certainly did it in the gospel, first John one one what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen. And testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with God and manifested to us. And we have seen and heard what we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus. And so, John is not apologizing for having all these uh, earthy details. Uh, he says, "We know that it was the word of God with us. We know it was the word of life because we heard, we saw, we looked, or gazed, or we we, we examined this. Uh, we gave it the we gave it the full eyeball test, and we touched with our hands. And so we were right there in the room with him when these things happened. We we could we touched him. We bumped into him." As we jostled and getting in the boat, and uh, I'm sure uh, he, he could tell uh, the times where uh, Jesus in a boat gave his hand to lift in another disciple, or a disciple in the boat reached out his hand to pull Jesus in the boat. Uh, he talks about I'm sure he could talk about passing cups and passing plates, and uh, uh, passing blankets or sharing blankets uh, in the cold nights, and it was just really there, and so this heaven and earth. Throughout will be regularly a regular feature of our guided tour. Now, as I mentioned a while ago, on a guided tour, the guided tour will say uh, these are this thing and this is this thing. So that one time I took the tour in the open top bus in Hollywood, it's like, well, okay, we're now in the Hollywood, but we're in the Hollywood stars' homes part, and so we went through some of Beverly Hills. And this person lives here, and this person lives here, and this person lives here, and so there was one section where we were mainly in the homes. But on the way to the homes, we pass some other things, and they point that out. And on the way to the studios, uh, they, they, there was a few stars who didn't live with the, where the other ones did, and they'd say, uh, now we're, we've been doing these studios, but by the way, here's another house of somebody, and, and, and the like. And so there, there's major sections and major themes, and uh, you might be working on one theme for a while, but they're all going to get in there, and they're all going to get interwoven. And so it is here. We're going to have in the gospel some unfolding themes. And these themes will unfold. They won't be quite as clear at the beginning. At the beginning, uh, they're going to be a little more veiled. Uh, They're going to be a little more enigmatic. They're going to be possibly at that point still open uh, to a wider uh, interpretation. Uh, There's somebody going to be presented in a way that it doesn't answer when it's first brought up but it's setting up something for later. It, it tantalizes us. It, it stirs the interest. It piques the interest. Uh, no one's ever been uh, to a good film or read a good book where everything's revealed on page three, right? right. We got 650 pages to go. We're going to have some revelations along the way, and then we're going to have the big reveal at the end. And so the Gospel of John, in the same way, we have things that unfold, and it are brought out more and more as we go. And what didn't seem so important earlier, now there's a tie back to it. Ah, oh, that was important. And then maybe uh, also, I thought that was going this way, and instead it's going that way. Oh, I see now. So we're going to have some things to unfold. And dr- the Gospel of John is written to pique our curiosity, uh, to cause us to read on, to cause us to seek to get some answers. And there's five things, five themes we want to point out, these are not the only themes in John. If you think I missed one, should have had six. That's okay. Maybe I should have had seven. But I got five of things that unfold for us. Uh, One of them will be the great miracles, the surpassing miracles. And it's not just that they're miracles. All miracles are spectacular. All of them beyond what nature can do and nature can provide. Today, we see some glorious aspects of nature. But imagine if we saw on a word or a command, we saw a snowstorm like this in July. Well, that would be supernatural, right? Today's snowstorm was predicted. It's it's amazing. It's powerful. It's the hand of God, but it's within nature, right? Uh, We can predict it. Uh, We know when we kind of saw the snow coming. Uh, We kind of know when it's going to melt based on uh, what the weather forecast is. There are some rules about it. Well, these miracles, all miracles beyond nature, don't follow these rules. But Jesus, these are not just miracles, but surpassing miracles. They're miracles that go beyond other miracles. Nearly every miracle that Jesus does, we can find an Old Testament counterpoint, particularly with Moses and Elijah, with those two. With Moses and Elijah, we can find a miracle that's a a complement, or maybe a foreshadowing, we might say, of what Jesus does but he'll do it to a surpassing degree. Early on, we have these things of miracles set out for us. After Jesus, and we mentioned the fig tree, after Jesus said, hey, I saw you under the fig tree, and he goes, how can you see under the fig tree? You must be the Messiah. And Jesus said, oh, hold on there. I'm the Messiah, but you're not quite there yet in reasoning. But he says, Jesus says, John 150, he answered and said to him, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Now, uh, if we had some dramatic music, whatever musical cue we have for foreshadowing, we'd play it right there. You'll see greater things. And we all set our minds, what greater things might that be? Oh, they're going to be greater things. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to see something like Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder is going to be uh, recreated. And you're going to see that. And they're going to go, what? We're going to see something greater than angels descending and descending uh, like Jacob saw? Yes, uh, you will see heavens opened up and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, and Jacob saw that in a vision. They're not going to see any of these miracles in a vision. They're going to see... Uh, these miracles in full effect. They're going to see these miracles fully awake. And they're going to see these miracles with witnesses. Because you think about Jacob seeing the latter. Oh, he saw it. But who else saw it? Where were the witnesses to prove that? You don't have any. You have the divine record. Moses attests. Yeah, that was true. But these miracles of Jesus, we're going to have these great things, uh, seven miracles in all. And John only records seven. Seven of them. Uh, that will uh, show them things greater than Jacob's ladder. They're going to show Jesus' compassion and his power and his divinity. And so we we might find more things that these prove as well, but we're going to see over and over the compassion, power, and divinity of Jesus. So our seven miracles, the water to wine at Cana, as we already mentioned. Uh, Not water in the wilderness uh, like Moses provided, but water to the best wine uh, for this wedding. The healing of the uh, royal official's son in John 4. Maybe the least known miracle uh, from the miracles in the Gospel of John. Uh, but we recall uh, Elijah uh, rushing to heal a boy, and Jesus heals him without even having to go near him, just on his word. Uh, then, uh, beyond that, he heals the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethsaida in uh, John 5, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to find uh, healing of the lame in the Old Testament. This is a, a surpassing uh, miracle, uh, but uh, uh, here Jesus does that. Then uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, Moses gave a manna in the wilderness. Jesus fed 5,000 in the wilderness with one boy's lunch. And then uh, Jesus walked on the water. You know, Moses parted the water. They could all walk through. Jesus walks on it and gives Peter the ability uh, to walk with him. Uh, Jesus heals in John 9, uh, the man born blind. And uh, uh, we think about in the Old Testament again, uh, the miracles of healing. Nothing uh, of that stature. Nothing of that uh, uh, case. What few healings we have by the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, we have by uh, direct prayer, uh, by entreaty to God. And it's really a special thing. Jesus just on his own, by his own authority, he says the word, it's done. Uh, the last miracle, aside from the resurrection itself, the last miracle in John, uh, John 11, raising Lazarus from the dead. And we think about, yeah, the prophets, uh, they did raise one from the dead, but not like that. And, and, uh, not after, uh, many days had passed, uh, so that, uh, uh, the family said, Lord, I think by now he's going to be decomposed. Okay, the King James says more you know, directly, hey, Lord, he's going to stink. Uh, yeah, the body was gone uh, by any natural measure. The body was too far gone for even visitation anymore. But Jesus calls it back, uh, calls him back from the dead. And so uh, Jesus calls back his friend, showing the great power uh, that he had. So surpassing miracles. So the seven miracles. The seven, and, and we know, because John 20 uh, and uh, uh, G, where John said, I wrote these that you might believe, right? John 20 and verse 30. We know these miracles are guiding you to belief. Uh, these other things are too, it's just not as directly stated. Surpassing miracles. That's uh, theme number one. Theme number two we're going to talk a lot about ours. As we go through the Gospel of John, There's an awful lot of talk about hours, and this isn't the whole list, but this is probably more than half of them. But we start with that when Jesus is asked to do something at the wedding uh, where he'll make the water to wine, he says to his mom, a woman, and that's not as disrespectful as it might sound to us, uh, uh, he says, what does that have to do with us? Or how's that our business, mom? He says, my hour has not yet come. And our inquiring reader, the first time he sees something like that, he's going to go, the hour's not yet come? Well, when's the hour going to be? What do you mean the hour's not yet here? Now, Jesus goes ahead and makes water to wine. Now, I got to say, for a time, you know, if, if my time isn't yet, but what I do is a not yet feature, is water to wine, uh, uh, 150 gallons of it or so, I got to say, that's a pretty good, that's uh, not my time yet. Man, if that's what he does when it's not his time, what's he going to do when it is his time? And later, John 7, 6, Jesus tells the folks, My time is not yet here. Oh, it's not. When's it going to be? But your time is always opportune. Hey, folks, you guys can always believe. Y'all should. Y'all should believe. Uh, John 8. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour was not yet. It wasn't his time yet. So through the gospel of John, it's not his time. It's not his time. And then... Uh, when he goes down to heal Lazarus and, and raise him from the dead. And uh, first the apostles thought, well, we're not going down there because it's too dangerous. We're not going down there because the Jews are trying to kill us. And then Jesus said, hey, let's go down. And the disciples said, Rabbi, uh, the Jews are trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answers again about time. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light. Uh, because he sees the light of this world. And then he says a little bit later, yeah, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake we weren't there, so that you may believe. There's our key, so you believe. But let's go to him. And then Thomas figures, hell, they're going to kill us. It must be his time. We might as well go with him. Thomas says, Thomas called Didymus, the twin, says to the fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. And so Thomas had picked up on this time business and they're going down into Jerusalem, uh, to suburb, suburban Jerusalem. And they're, they're going to go down and see the family uh, of, a great, of a good friend who died. But they're going to be right there in the teeth of all the Jewish opposition. And hey, uh, I guess all that time he's talking about, it must be now. And so we're going to go die uh, with him. It turns out he was a couple of months off. He had the right place, but he was a little bit off on his time because it wasn't that trip to Jerusalem, but the next trip to Jerusalem at the Passover when Jesus will be killed. And he says plainly in John 12, Jesus answered and said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So all through the book, it's not his hour. It's not my time. It's not my time. It's not the hour. But now in John 12, the night before the, resur- the, night before the crucifixion, now is the time. So we're going to have that coming time. We have this expectation we we know all through our guided tour we are headed somewhere there's not a meandering tour uh, this is not a tour that just takes us to whatever we find and it'll take however long it takes this is a tour on a schedule and we're gonna go till it's this time another thing that occurs is especially at the early part of the gospel Jesus will say things and we're everybody's left scratching their head going what does that mean what what what? And so uh things like John 3 uh when Jesus says to Nicodemus you must be born again. And Nicodemus says how can this be? What do you mean born again? And I got to say we have some t- <laughs> we have some issues trying to nail down all of the born again part uh today and born again of water and the spirit. And, and giving a direct and exact answer for that Giving the postcard answer for born again of water and the spirit. Uh, there's a few folks who can give a postcard answer for of water and the spirit, but most of those aren't really good answers uh, because it's, it's uh, so open. It's so open that it's still perplexing uh, to us. There's a bit of another in the, in the next chapter when the woman at the well starts asking about, well, where do we worship? Do we worship here at Gerizim or do we need to go down to Jerusalem? And Jesus said, An hour is coming and now is. Oh, that sounds like the last thing we just talked about. When's that hour going to be, Jesus? I'm the I'll I'll let you know when the hour is. But he says, when it won't matter where you go, because what God wants is for you to worship him in spirit and in truth. The hour is coming, and now is uh, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to be his worshiper. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And again, there's a lot there. And at this point in the Gospel of John, I don't know how you can possibly answer what that means. Just imagine here in the middle of Jesus' ministry, trying to explain to anybody what we now as Christians understand about what it means to worship in spirit and truth. And actually, aren't some of us are still working on to some degree on the fullness of it. And so Jesus gives us these these questions of that we all just sit around like Nicodemus and go what and especially as they were revealed contemporaneously, but John again uh, he doesn't leave us there with nothing. He'll he'll pay those questions off later and we get more detail. So by the time we get to chapter nine, we start getting things answered. We have somebody answering the uh, ask a question, and he's told. So John nine thirty five. Jesus heard they put him out. That's the blind man put out of the synagogue. And Jesus said to the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And that's a Messianic title that uh, uh, is definitely being used there from Daniel 9. And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So tell me who the Messiah is. I'll believe in whoever you tell me about the Messiah. And Jesus said, you have both seen him and he's the one talking to you. Yeah, you saw the Messiah. Imagine the very first day you can see, who do you see? You see the Messiah. Who's the first person you see when you're made? Well, you saw the Messiah and you've talked to him. And so here's the question. Who's the son of man for me to believe? Jesus said, I'm here. I'm right in front of you. It's me. Now, again, that's a real conversation happened with a real blind man. Why does John bring us to that conversation? So we could know and trust that Jesus is the man. So as things were confused at times, especially early on, the farther we go into John, the more they'll get clear. John 10, truly I say to you, everyone who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs another way, is a thief and a robber. This figure of speech, verse 6, it says, Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand it. They didn't understand what he'd been saying. So he said to them again, So, okay, let me tell you so you'll get it. Truly I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. So, we're near the end. I don't have time for y'all to figure this out. Let me just tell you. And that happens through the Gospel of John. The farther we go, the clearer it gets. In John 16, 25, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak in figurative language, but I'll tell you plainly of the Father. Now, he didn't always do that directly himself. It had said earlier in chapter 16, verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll disclose to you what is to come. So I'm sending you the helper or, or the, uh, the the counselor. I'm sending you the one to bring... Uh, um, Uh, uh, comfort, uh, the one who'll bring uh, 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 like a a consultant. I'm sending you this one. I'm sending you this helper and it'll all be made clear. So farther we go, clearer it gets. And so we think about the absolute clarity of the gospel presentation from Acts chapter two, just weeks after Jesus died, from everything up to The death of Jesus. How much clearer is the gospel, just six weeks later? And how much clearer are the things of the gospel in the the week of the of the crucifixion and at the crucifixion than they had been ever before? So this guided tour takes us from obscurity to clarity. What does this mean? Is the great uh, question of Nicodemus, and then by the end of the gospel, I'm telling you what this means from Jesus. All right, that's three of our five. Two more quickly. We got seven I am statements. We got seven, seven miracles. We also got seven I am statements. These are some of the most famous statements of John. We already made mention of one, I'm the door of the sheep. But Jesus is the bread of life or the living bread. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth and the life. He's the true vine. And so these seven statements of Jesus, and every time we run across one of those, so chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 14, and chapter 15, every time we run across an I am, uh, probably time to, you know, stop the tour for just a second, look at the landmark John's pointing out to us, see its context, see what it means, and see what this, you know, what, what this uh, torch is, is enlightening. See what this spotlight is shining on. The I am statements. Of course, there's also another statement twice repeated that might be put with these where Jesus just says, I am. He'll say uh, in John 8 to those who are opposing him before Abraham was, I am. And he'll also say to those who sought him in the garden, who do you seek? He says, I am. Often in the uh, modern translations, there's a he added there, I'm he. But I am is better. So the I am's, the the last of our five. And again, this is not a study of these. Just point out, this is the thing to study. This is the thing to look for. This is a gospel that is written to guide you to belief, right? The gospel of belief, the guided tour of belief. Well, what are we going to find as we go through the gospels? As we go through this gospel We're going to find people who did believe it, right? There's the great blessing that was given to those who believe he gave right to be the son of God or chapter three, he who believes in the son has eternal life. Well, we're going to find there were people who believed it. And so by the time we get to the end of the book, we have a whole lot of people. If we believe it, only if we believe it, you believe it, don't you? I hope you do. You can shake or not through the video. I hope you believe it. If you believe this, you have other people with you who likewise believe. There are common uh, believers. There's a fellowship of believers. There are other believers to share with. So in John 9, when they so harshly treated the blind man who believed in him and defended him uh, logically and rationally and against opposition of the Jews, Jesus went out and he found him. See, if there's believers out there, trust Trust the Lord will find him. Jesus heard they'd put him out, John nine thirty five, And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? You have both seen him, and he's the one who's talking with you. And the blind man says, Lord, I believe. And worshipped him. Again, historically accurate, I'm sure that's exactly what happened. But written for whose sake well as paul would say about the old testament written for our sake that we by that time might also believe in jesus as we read about him and that we may worship him in the garden excuse me excuse me it's uh uh, not it's about john the baptist in john 10 in john 10 verse 41 many were coming to him and saying while john performed no sign Yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed there. And so the prophets, the prophets, what the prophets say about Jesus are true. They recognize what John said was true. We'll note that the other prophecies of the uh, uh, earlier prophets, according to scripture, those are true, and we will believe as we find. Or in the cemetery, John eleven twenty-five. Jesus says uh, to Lazarus' sister, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus asked the pointed question to her in the cemetery. But the question we almost answer, do you believe this? And she said in verse 27, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Well, what would we want to confess? Do you believe this? Yes. We believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. He who came to the world. Or the apostles themselves. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. Or in John 16, his disciples said, hey, now you're speaking plainly. You're not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And so every time we step through in the Gospel of John, one of these great confessions where someone says, I believe, we should, in our own hearts, uh, we, we should, as we read along, say, I believe too. I believe what they confess. What did they confess there? We believe that you came from God, that you know all things. We'd all readily confess that, wouldn't we? Why'd we gather in this way, even when the weather's so foul? And uh, hey, day off, no. (laughs) It's still a day uh, of the Lord. It's still a day uh, for uh, what gathering we can make and dedication to his word. Again, John 1, verse 12, as we conclude, as many as received him, he gave the right to be children of God. How? Even to those who believe in his name. So we're going to take the guided tour of belief. We, we, this is what the tour is going to be. This is that little handout they give you. That little, uh, you know, uh, full-color trifold sheet that says, come come, take this tour, and we're going to show you these things. And you go, oh, I'd like to see those things. And so you pay your money and you take your tour. Well, We want to take the guided tour of belief. We want to see these things uh, and study them (coughs) uh, uh, as close as we can uh, to their original happening, which is uh, the divine record. Uh, We want to uh, step through the things that those who saw uh, want to remind us of and teach us of to either uh, build, uh, confirm, or as necessary, cause belief. And so we'll close as Jesus asked on several occasions and John implicitly asked on every uh, page of the book, do you believe? And I hope you do, but take the tour with us, even as a believer, even though you know, uh, it'll be nice to be reminded and nice to see these old favorite places. Nice to see these things of which we uh, have as uh, uh, memories, uh, as uh, as uh, foundational moments and teachings, as things that we Uh, you know, pegs we hang our faith on. Uh, Take the guided tour with us of belief. Uh, Bring along somebody who doesn't believe if if you can. Uh, But uh, let's go take this tour through John, the guided tour to belief. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.